On July 11th, a Friday, 1969, Ted Conrad was a bank teller at the Society National Bank in Cleveland. And on that Friday afternoon, he walked out carrying a bag that had $215,000 in it. That was not his. It would be about an equivalent of $1.7 million today. Because it was a Friday afternoon, no one noticed that the money was missing until Monday. So Ted Conrad had a two-day head start. And so he went off on, on hiding. He ended up on the West Coast. He ended up in D.C. Then he settled in Massachusetts and took on a new identity. Ted Conrad took on the name Thomas Randeel. And then... He lived his life. He was married in 1982, had a daughter. He worked at a, at a, um, a, a golf, uh, he worked in, in, in golf, then he worked in uh, car, selling cars. He did different things. In May of 2021, he died. The investigator that was on the original case His son now had the case after his father had died. And finally, by reading his obituary and and putting all the pieces together in the fall of 2021, he went to the family and just before he died, Ted Conrad, Thomas Randeel, had admitted to his family that he had robbed that bank and investigators after reading the obituary had finally caught up to him. His sin had caused him to take on a new identity. And I think probably the guilt of it then brought him to the point where he told somebody right before he died. Now, for believers, it's exactly the opposite. Instead of getting a new identity and living in secrecy and darkness... When we come to know Jesus and experience forgiveness of sins, we are made as a new creation and given a new life and identity in Christ. And that is supposed to go forth as a light, not to be hidden. And that's exactly what Paul shares with the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to look just at one verse, but keep your Bible open because we're going to look at some other verses in the context. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. It says this, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And with that, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for speaking. And God, we ask that uh, you would challenge us individually today in your powerful name. Amen. As we look at Paul in sharing this letter to to this church and in the the passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he has told them and talked about somewhat death. 
He has talked about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in verse number 8 and warns them of a coming judgment in verse number 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so Paul uses the, the coming to the end of our life the death and judgment as a way to motivate us, but then he also calls us to look at the life of Jesus in order to motivate us to live for him. Now, since probably my junior, senior year of high school, this verse has been my life verse. This is the verse that has really been there to confront me, to challenge me, and to call me with this fact that he died for me and I should live for him. If we break it down exactly to where it is, Christ died for me, I should live for him. So with that, And this call to live for Jesus, which is out there, and it doesn't depend upon the culture, and it doesn't depend upon society. We're called to live for Jesus no matter what. So, I want us this morning to think about three reasons why we need to be people who are living for Jesus. First off, we live for Jesus again because he died for us. Notice with me again, verse number 15. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Live for Jesus because he died for you. That's the heartbeat of this verse. So, So we think about Jesus and his death, and we've heard this all of our life for those of us who grew up in, in church. But, but we live for him because he died for us, and we recognize that Jesus died and rose for our sin. Jesus died and rose because of our sin, for our sin. He didn't die just as a good example. He didn't die just to show love. He didn't die just to, 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 uh, uh, to, to, so everyone can look at him and, and declare that he was a martyr. No. Jesus died and rose for our sin. Now, the truth is, and we know these verses, Romans 3.23 tells us all of us have sinned, and Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But sometimes we think, you know, I'm really not not that bad. So I, I want us to think of it this way. Somebody gets your credit card, and they go on a shopping spree. I mean, it's a vast shopping spree. You didn't even realize that your credit limit was that high. And then they come to you with this bill. And they bring all the receipts to you. It hadn't quite, you haven't looked on your computer. They bring all the receipts before you and they say, uh, here's the deal. This is going to cost you everything you have. Oh, and by the way. It's even going to cost you your life. Now, I don't know about you, but I might pick a couple of those receipts out and say, you know what? Mm, You shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. No way you're getting help from me. Uh Uh-uh. No way. Not doing it. But instead, what we find is when we bring this debt of sin to the Lord Jesus, he doesn't say no way. He went to the cross and he said, I'll pay it. 
I'll pay it. Christ died for our sin, according to the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 tells us. And he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. As we think of him dying. Now, see, it would bother you if someone brought you a huge bill and and expected you to pay for it. But what have you brought to Jesus? You have brought a tremendous penalty because of the sins that you have committed. And Jesus paid it all. He died and he rose. But he not only died and rose for our sin, but he did die and he did rise out of love. Now, we know the verses on love, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John four ten. in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sin. We know all of those, but notice with me in verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. What's he talking about? The love of Christ is compelling me to go and to share. The love of Christ is compelling me to live differently and to speak differently because he has shown his great love to me. He died for me. And his love has compelled me to live for him. But here's the challenge with most of us. Here really is the challenge. We've heard this. We've understood this. At times, we've really contemplated this. But sometimes we can kind of be in the position of a guy whose name is Simon in Luke chapter 7. He is a Pharisee in Luke seven thirty six, and he invites Jesus to come into his house. And as Jesus comes into the house of Simon the Pharisee, Simon brings him in, and he, he doesn't really do the hospitable things for Jesus. He doesn't wash his feet or put oil on his head. He just has him sit down and probably quizzing and throwing questions at him. And then a sinful woman comes in with valuable oil, and she anoints his head. And she washes his feet with this oil and with her tears and with her hair. Now Simon says, ha, who, what kind of prophet would let somebody do that to him? This sinful woman, who would even let her touch him? Oh, that's disgusting. No way. God would never take a woman like this. If he's truly the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, he would know and never let a woman touch him like that. There's this indignant, legalistic heart, cold heart. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. There was a man who loaned money to two men. To one man, he loaned 500 days wages. To another man, he loaned 50 days wages. Neither man could pay back. 500 days wages, if there's there's 260 weekdays, Monday through Friday, 260 weekdays in a year. So we're talking almost two years. So let's just give it a number. Let's say it's $80,000 worth of debt that this creditor uh, this man owes his, his creditor. 80000 The other man owes 50 days. We're talking 10 weeks. 
he owes $8,000. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, if the creditor just forgives both of them, who's going to love and appreciate it more? The one who was forgiven the 8000 or the one who was forgiven the 80000 And Simon answers correctly. He says, the one who owed more. And Jesus looks at him and basically says, this woman, a sinful woman, has recognized her sin. And this is the only person in the New Testament Gospels that is commended for loving Jesus much. Only person commended for loving Jesus. She was forgiven this debt of sin. But Simon, he thought he was a good guy. He, he didn't need that much forgiveness. I mean, you know, he was, he was a good guy. He was going to make it on his own. So he didn't really have any respect toward Jesus at all. Can I tell you? Most of us are a lot closer to that sinful woman than we want to imagine. Every day is... Thoughts go into our mind as impatience comes, as, as the Lord gets put on the back burner and other things get put in front of him. The Lord has forgiven you much, love much. And one of the ways you show that love is by living for him. That makes it clear. He died for you. He paid the penalty for your sin. The challenge is live for him. He took the initiative to love and forgive. He took the initiative to show himself. We love him because he first loved us. So love him. Live for Jesus because he died for you. But secondly, let's slide down just a couple of verses to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And think about this. Live for Jesus because he has made you a new creation. Live for Jesus because he has made you a new creation. Notice with me in verse number 17. This is a verse, again, that you're familiar with. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus not only died for our sin, but notice, he not only says, hey, I've kind of washed you up a little bit. He says, I've made you a new creation. So we have a new position, all right? Notice with me, my position in Christ right now is that I am a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, that means if they've come to know Jesus as their Savior, if they have called upon the name of the Lord and they are saved, my position is in Christ as a new creation, new, qualitatively created at a new level. The sin put away, separated as far as the east is from the west, cast behind his back and he remembers it no more. My position in Christ is I am a new creation. Now let's think about what does that mean? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? And I want to give you some characteristics of what that looks like for us within the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First off, because of Jesus making me a new creation, number one, I am alive. I'm alive. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who live 
should live no longer for themselves. What's he talking about? He died for all that those who live. We have a new spiritual life. We have been made alive in him. No longer are we dead in our sin. No longer are we separated from God because of the things that we've done wrong. Now I am spiritually alive. And even when physically I'm tired or worn out or weary, I know that the Lord has taken this old clay pot of a body and he has placed within it a precious and invaluable and inestimable amount of treasure in the person of Jesus himself. That's the picture. I'm alive because of him. Then I am new. I am new. I'm not only alive, but, but I'm new. He, he, he didn't just slap a, 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 new, a, a new label on me or new clothes on me and say you're new. No, he started the work on the inside. He cleansed my heart. He took what was scarlet and made it as white as snow. He took what was deep, dark, and crimson stains and made them as white as wool. He put his Holy Spirit in me to bring spiritual life. He has made me new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things, they're passed away. All things are new. Thirdly, slide down to verse number 18. I am reconciled. I am reconciled. Notice in verse number 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. I'm reconciled. Maybe you do this on your computer. Maybe you do this. Uh, maybe you let your bank do it. But maybe you sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil. And at the end of the month or quarter or year, hopefully it's closer to month than year. But you take your withdrawals and your deposits in your bank account and you seek to reconcile withdrawals and deposits, and you seek to make everything line up so that at the end, everything is in harmony. For us, it is withdrawal, more debt because I've sinned, more debt because I've thought something, more penalty because I've said something, more penalty because of my attitude or my actions or things I've looked at or things I've, I've done. And every time you go to list it out, Jesus says, I've covered it. I've covered it. I've covered it. I've covered it. We're reconciled to God, but understand The only thing that we did was the bad stuff. (laughs) Jesus fixed it when he died on the cross for our sin. I am reconciled. I'm forgiven. Notice in verse number 19. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, he says this. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses not imputing their trespasses to them, not imputing, not holding those trespasses, not putting all those sins on their account and saying, look, they've got to pay for those. Instead, we're reconciled. Jesus paid 
I'm forgiven. Jesus paid. I'm forgiven. Can I ask you a question? This last year, we had several young couples get married. We, I got a couple more coming up in, in, uh, in March. David's daughter's getting married. We have one other young couple getting married. Who is more afraid of dirt? A guy in his boots and Levi's or a girl in her white wedding dress? Jesus says you're forgiven. Your sins are made as white as snow. So we should long in the purity of who he has made us to stay away from sin. Anything that would cause dirt or defiling upon us. When was the last time you looked at yourself not as a sinner saved by grace, but as someone who is alive and new and reconciled and forgiven before the Lord. And the last picture that we see, the last characteristic, verse 21, I am righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in when was the last time that you said, I'm not just a sinner saved by grace? I mean, I am a sinner and I have been saved by grace, but now God calls me righteous. He has dressed me and changed me. And now I want to avoid the dirt of sin. I want to avoid the marring of a negative and horrific attitude. I want to live for Jesus and live a righteous life. Live for Jesus. He died for you. Live for Jesus. He's made you a new creation. My position is a new creation. But because my position in Christ is a new creation, my devotion to Christ should have a fresh commitment. And that's what I want to call you to today. All right? My devotion to Christ means that I need to start this year with a fresh commitment. I need to recognize who the Lord is and all that he's done for me. And as I count my blessings and as I recognize his awesome gift of salvation and I recognize who he is and as I read gentle and lowly to see the, the, the graciousness and with Jesus works and lives in my life, then my fresh commitment is, Lord, I want to spend time with you daily. You're worthy to be worshiped. You are so good for all that you've done. All I brought to the table was a sinful, broken life, but look what you've done. So Lord, I open your word today and Lord, speak to me today. Lord, I'm grateful. It's not, oh, I got to check a box today and make sure I get through another chapter of the Bible so I can read through. No, it's this fresh heart of commitment that says, God, thank you for what you've done. Look, life's hard right now. I understand that. The days are hard right now. It's challenging right now. I heard about the little boy who just got so, uh, he was so afraid of the dark that he got in despair every night. And, uh, 
as he thought about it getting dark, he just wondered, where does the sun go every night? And why does it have to get dark? And is the sun ever going to come back? And so he decided he was going to wait, wait up all night through the darkness and to see if the sun was really going to come. And as he waited through the darkness, it kept getting darker and feeling darker and feeling darker. And then it dawned on him. The sun came. Can I tell you today? Annie told us that the sun is going to come out tomorrow. All right. She told us, bet your bottom dollar. Can I tell you? The faithfulness of God will see you through. Trust him. Live for him. If life is hard, live for him anyway. If life is busy, make sure that it's not too busy for him. A fresh commitment to be in his word. Can I challenge you? If you don't have a plan, it's probably not going to happen. If you're not thinking about a time when I'm going to meet with the Lord, it's probably going to get pushed back to the end of the day. It's, it's kind of like uh, exercise. If, if I don't plan it, it's probably not going to happen. And so the challenge for our life is, if I'm going to spend time with the Lord and he's worthy of it, when am I going to do it? But then I challenge you, as we think about our fresh commitment to get in a Bible study, to be here in corporate worship, to be sharing and shining the light of Jesus to others. Maybe today, January the 9th, we don't know what's going to happen through the rest of 2022. But I do know the Lord's going to be faithful. And I never want to be at a place where he catches me by surprise because I'm half-hearted in my commitment. Live for Jesus. He's made you a new creation. My position has changed. And because my position has changed, my devotion should change. I don't have to read the Bible. I get to. I get to hear from God every day. I don't have to pray. I get to pray. I get to talk with the God who created me and loves me so much he sent Jesus for me. Live for Jesus. He's made you a new creation. Thirdly, we think about this. Live for Jesus because he's given you the opportunity for an eternal impact. He's called you and given you that challenge and chance in your life. He's given you an eternal purpose in your life. Now, as we think about a purpose in life and we think about an eternal purpose, live for Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives the eternal purpose. Jesus is the one who moves in our life to say, look, this is going to last beyond the grave. Look, this legacy can go further than than you think it can go. This legacy and that ministry and that service and that help and that hurt and that prayer can impact one's life forever. Do, Do you realize that? That as I serve and as I give and as I share and as I go, as I pray, I can make an eternal impact on someone's life. Now, let's think about what this is going to look like. If he's given me an amazing eternal purpose, what is that purpose? 
first off, as we think about that purpose, it really involves me growing closer to him. Notice in verse number 18 again, we looked at this just a moment ago. It says, all things are of God who uh, has reconciled us to himself. God reconciled us so that we can grow closer to Jesus every day. Grow closer to Jesus. Grow closer to him. We sing and grew up singing, many of us, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Well, that's true if you're walking with him. That's true. Grow closer to him. God didn't reconcile you to the Lord Jesus and to himself and call you in a relationship to him so you could ignore him. You could overlook him or you could take him for granted. God reconciled you to build a relationship with him. But then notice he's given us a ministry with that as well. That we're to minister to others because notice in verse number 19, as we think about uh, verse the end of verse 18, God has reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we have a ministry. We minister to others. And, and notice verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. At the end of verse 19, it says, now he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Do you know why you have an eternal purpose? Because you have the eternal answer for people to be reconciled to God. And God has committed to that to, that to us as believers. I, I, I don't know about you. I've never had an angel come and visit me. I've never had an angel teach me God's word. I, I, I've never had that. I've never seen Jesus personally. Never had a vision. But what I have had is people minister to me so that I could grow closer to Jesus. I could hear the message of Jesus. I could get saved and grow in my faith. And now he's committed that to you. Minister to others for Jesus. And then he tells us that we are to serve as ambassadors for Jesus as well. Notice with me, we serve as an ambassador for him. Notice in verse number 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This week, uh, Pastor Jerry uh, did three funerals. I was with him on a couple of them. As I thought about the funerals this week, I thought about that word legacy. So I thought about that word legacy. I thought about and, and just reading this story this week about Tom, uh, Ted Conrad, Thomas Randeel, who robbed that bank. And I thought, you know what's going to be tied to that man all of his life? When people said that they know Thomas Randeel, you know what people are going to say? Hey, that's Ted Conrad. That's the dude that robbed that bank. When people from high school... And he completely disappeared, left his family, his, his, his mother, his brothers. They never heard from him all of those years from 1969 following. They never knew what happened to him. When people hear Ted Conrad's name and they went to high school with him, you know what they're going to remember? That's a dude that robbed that bank. 
he walked out with $215,000. What are people going to remember about you? And I will challenge you with this thought. You know, you can live a whole respectable life like apparently he did after he robbed a bank. But what everybody remembers is that dude robbed a bank. I want to challenge you and ask you, what kind of legacy are you leaving? As I thought about that and thought about this, I thought about some of the the guys who they used to tell me, you know, I just, I I want a a legacy and this is what I'm going to write on, on, you know, my, my epitaph and this is what I want written about me. And I could think of no better short phrase than the phrase of this one verse in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. And as I think about a legacy, this is what I want people to say. Three words. Lived for Jesus. You can maybe say some other things. Told bad jokes, you know, I mean, you know, he was corny, he was goofy, you know, those kind of things. But lived for Jesus. I pray that that'll be your legacy. But there's only one way that that will be your legacy. And that's if you live it now. I don't know if you've discovered this or not, but Pastor Jerry and I, we, over the years, have done a few funerals. You can't make up someone's legacy when they're in a casket. And some funerals are very, very easy to preach because their life lived such a calling and devotion to Jesus that you have absolute confidence he's with them and he's and this person man woman they've impacted people along the way what's your legacy going to be made lots of money got a doctorate degree good teacher he provided for his family she was a great mom those can all be good things But in the good, don't miss the best. Because the real calling of our life is to live for Jesus. And as we live for Jesus, we'll seek to be a good dad or mom. and We'll seek to be a good provider. and We'll seek to do all those things. But there's one goal. There's one trajectory that we head for. And that is, I want to run the race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I want to run it until he calls me home. And I pray that's your heart as well. And with that, let's pray. Today, there's there's really only two kinds of people here. There are those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. They've become a new creation. They've been forgiven of their sin. They've received Jesus. And there are those who have not. So let me ask you, do you know that you know Jesus? 
Do you know that you know him today? That's life's most important decision. And then if you do know him, this verse has called us, challenged us, confronted us. Are you living for him? You say, oh, buddy, I've heard this all my life. I've heard heard this message a thousand times. I've heard things just like this. So let's get real honest. Not you with me, you with you. Are you living for him? Is Jesus the center? And Father, I pray that uh, as you've challenged me this week to leave that legacy lived for Jesus, I pray that that would be the heartbeat of our church, that we would live for you in your name.